if you would, please turn in your copies of God's Word to Philippians chapter 1. Our sermon text this evening is going to be verses 27 through 30, the last four verses of the chapter. Just to get all the context back in our minds, we'll read the entire chapter of uh, the entire first chapter of Philippians. But again, our sermon text are those last four verses. Philippians chapter 1, this is God's holy word. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill, The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that... In me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus 
because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Lord, we would ask for your help this evening. Uh, We would ask that if it would be your pleasure, you would speak through the preaching of your word. Lord, in so far as the preacher is correct, would you speak to us? Would you help us to be Bereans, to look at your word and to see whether what is said is so? Lord, would you help us? Would you speak to us? Would you move us? We'd ask it in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Well, several weeks ago, we talked about tornado warnings. Do you remember that? That Friday warning that I didn't uh, know about. Well, in Indiana, you are supposed to know about tornado preparedness. Uh, You are supposed to be prepared. So I have that question for you. Are you prepared? What should be in your at-home safety kit? Water, one gallon per person per day for several days. Food, at least several day supply of non-perishable foods. Uh, battery-powered or hand-cranked radio, flashlight, first aid kit, extra batteries, a whistle so you could signal for, for help. I don't know. Dust masks. You probably have several masks. Uh, <laughs> plastic sheeting and duct tape to shelter in place. Moist towelettes, garbage bags, and plastic ties for personal sanitation. Yikes. Uh, Wrench or pliers to turn off your utilities, a manual can opener so that you can get into all that food, local maps, a cell phone with chargers, and backup batteries. Well, what's the point of all of this? The Apostle Paul wants the Philippians to be prepared. This message is about your manner of life. That's clear. You can see that from verse 27, the very opening phrase. It's about your manner of life. But look at verse 28. Paul says that the Philippians are going to face opposition. Indeed, they are facing opposition. And look at verse 30. It says there will be conflict. We are to be even engaged in conflict. You see, Christians are called to live a gospel-worthy life. They're bought with a price. So my question is, what is it that Paul asks the Philippians to do? What does gospel-worthy living look like? So we're going to begin to consider uh, those questions as we begin with our first heading, which is gospel-worthy unity. Gospel-worthy unity. 
So Paul is writing the Philippians from prison and he commends them for their love and for their partnership with him in the advancement of the gospel. They are supporting him as a missionary and as a church planner. And he updates them on his personal well-being as well as his ministry. In verses 12 through 18, he tells them that even though he's imprisoned, the gospel is continuing to advance. In verses 18 through 26, we see that Paul is still in good spirits. He hasn't been shaken. He is as laser focused as ever. He's determined to honor Christ, whether by life or by death. He says, for to me to live and to die is gain. And that makes sense, right? Because by definition, Christians are followers of Christ. He's their king, They're his servants. Christ's priorities are their priorities. Jesus isn't just part of their life. He is their life. In verse 27, Paul turns a critical corner in this letter. He turns from speaking about his own affairs and begins to address the circumstances that the Philippians are dealing with. He writes, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That, that phrase, let your manner of life, those words, five words, that's um, one Greek verb. And this verb describes your conduct, how you live, and it shares its root with the word city or citizenship. You see, this word describes the conduct expected of good citizens. It means live as citizens. Paul wants the Philippians to live as good citizens. And if you flip over a page and look at chapter 3, verse 20, you'll see that Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. You see, in verse 27, Paul is saying, only let your manner of life as citizens be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's saying, live in the Roman colony of Philippi as worthy citizens of your heavenly homeland. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That would be his message to you and to I, to myself. Philippi was a Roman town that was governed by Roman law. It was a very uh, Roman city. Most of its citizens were Roman. Latin was its official language. Inscriptions on in buildings were all in Latin. The leadership and the aristocracy of Philippi were completely Roman. You see this city of Philippi was self-consciously prideful. It was an elitist Roman colony that was preoccupied with the coveted citizenship of Rome. The Philippian church was seen as a threat to civic-minded Romans who ran Philippi. That's because the church's allegiance was to the Lord Jesus rather than Lord Caesar. Christianity seemed to them like a treasonous religion. Right? It, it just seemed un-Roman. A treasonous religion. That's what the political establishment thought. 
Uh, The Roman citizens of Philippi honored their emperor at their public gatherings, and uh, it was pressured. You, You were pressured as a citizen to comply, to fit in with all the rest, to do what everyone else was doing. And Christians that didn't conform were thought to be on Roman and enemies of the empire. Because of this, there was widespread persecution in Philippi and throughout the region. Now, we shouldn't just jump right to the conclusion of thinking of persecution, like we heard this morning, tied to a stake and and burned. Persecution isn't always that extreme. Persecution, when it comes to its climax, is there. But persecution often starts small by um, isolating people, by starting to make legislation that harms you, um, and doing other things. And then as it ramps up, it leads to that uh, kind of climax. We can relate to this kind of pressure, can't we? we? We feel the pressure of complying with public opinions on all sorts of matters. And if you go through the Rolodex of your mind, you might think of um, opinions of society on maybe identity or um, other types of things. We feel the pressure to comply with public opinions. There are things you're allowed to say, things you're definitely not allowed to say. And what happens if you don't comply? We have the term, right? You, You get canceled. You can lose your career. You can be ruined. And that's where persecution starts. And the Philippians wanted to live out their faith. They wanted to advance the gospel but they were facing persecution. They were facing opposition and conflict. So again, what does living a gospel-worthy life look like? What does Paul tell the Philippians to do? Paul writes, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you were standing firm in one spirit and with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. You see, Paul says, stand firm in unity. That's where it begins. And he tells the Ephesian church uh, something very similar. In Ephesians chapter four, verses one through six, listen to the language Paul uses here. He says, walk in a manner worthy worthy of your calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. You see, we are united to Christ by the power of the Spirit, and we are called to live in unity. Brothers and sisters, we must live in unity. Jesus prayed for your unity in his high priestly prayer. He says that the world would know that you are his disciples by your love for one another. 
He said that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Guard the unity of this church. Guard it. Protect the unity of your family. Don't entertain gossip. Beware of hearsay. Bridle your tongues. Scripture says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, that it may give grace to those who hear. Walk in gospel-worthy unity. And walk in gospel-worthy faith. That's our second heading. Gospel-worthy faith. So Paul's telling the Philippians, stand firm in unity. But sometimes that's easier said than done, isn't it? Being faithful to the Lord can be difficult. And that's because Christians have a heart problem. We're sinners saved by grace. Being faithful to the Lord is difficult. We're born again, but our our sin nature remains, doesn't it? We We have two natures. One nature that desires desperately to be faithful to Christ. And then we have this other nature that's selfish and self centered and sinful. And so we have that battle in our hearts and in our minds. And this chapter is set in a context that's about advancing the gospel, isn't it? We see that in verses 5 and verses 12 and verses 18. You see, the Philippians are facing real fallout for their actions. They're facing persecution. Their actions can result in painful consequences. Walking as citizens of heaven It might be very costly. It might cost the Philippians their family, their friends, their social life. They might lose their jobs. If they're marked out as Christians, they might uh, not be able to buy or sell in the marketplace. They might not be able to trade their goods. How are they supposed to live? Where will they get food and clothes and necessities? Besides, they can be evicted from their homes. They might lose the room that they're gathering in on the Lord's Day. And not only that, some of them are being beaten and robbed and abused and imprisoned and threatened. You see, the Philippian church is dealing with fear because of these things. Turn your attention to the end of verse 27. Paul says, Stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. The pressure that the Philippians were facing is starting to cause some disunity amongst them. And you can see that if you flip to chapter four and you look at verses two and three. Paul uh, mentions people by name. He says, I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. 
Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. You see, sometimes disunity is caused by heresy and false doctrine. And sometimes it is caused by things like lies and gossip and murmuring. We should bite our tongues if we don't have all of the facts or if we haven't verified them. Other times disunity is caused because we have a difference of opinion on how to respond to very controversial matters. We've experienced this in several ways, but we've certainly experienced this with the pandemic. What's a church supposed to do? Does it gather or it doesn't gather? Do you get vaccinated? Do you not get vaccinated? Do you wear masks? Do you not wear masks? We can relate to this. Well, the Philippians had disagreements about a controversial matter as well. Were they obligated to advance the gospel when it might result in their persecution? When it might result in suffering? How were they supposed to respond to conflict and opposition? Well, in verse 27, Paul says, Stand firm in one spirit. Christians have a fellowship that is rooted in the gospel. We have a three-way supernatural bond between ourselves and Christ and other believers. We could feel that. We feel at home. We feel a certain affection even with believers we've just met. Christians are united by Christ. But Paul also wants us to strive together for the faith as well, doesn't he? He wants us to strive together for the advancement of the gospel, even in the face of fear and opposition. Verse 27 says, Stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul says, strive with one another for the faith. That word striving in verse 27 is a translation of the Greek word, synathleo. This is a compound word. It's a word that's smashing two different words together, synathleo. But do you hear that second word, athleto? Athleto is the simple form of the, of the word, and it's where we get our English word, athlete. Do you hear it in that? Athleto. Our English word, athlete. We are to be like teammates who fight alongside of one another for the faith. Walking in a manner worthy of the gospel requires conscious effort. Being a faithful Christian is not an individualistic enterprise. The struggles that Christians face must be within the fellowship of a believing community. And when you think about it, if a sports team desires to win, they must train together. They need to know one another. They need to know who's got what strengths and who's got what weaknesses, who to put in what positions. They need to train together. They need to know one another, help one another, encourage one another. They need to run drills together. You see, they need to exercise together. Well, how does a Christian train like an athlete? 
How do you exercise? How do you build spiritual muscle? By attending church regularly, consistently, by attending Sunday school classes, attend midweek Bible studies and prayer meetings, ask questions, pray daily, read your Bible, study it, memorize it, read good books, utilize the confession and catechism. Maybe, maybe you think, man, I'm behind. I need a personal trainer. I'm going to need a personal trainer just to, try to, just to try to catch up. I'm out of shape. Ask someone to disciple you. Formal discipleship can help you grow by leaps and bounds. Build muscle. By training, you'll grow in strength and unity. Relying on the Lord, you'll be ready to face your opponents without fear, with confidence, without any intimidation. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You'll be prepared for gospel-worthy suffering. That's our third heading, gospel-worthy suffering. In verse 28, Paul talks about a sign from God talks about the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in your life. Uh, That fruit is your change of character. Um, You going from fear to confidence. Your love for one another, your unified stand for the gospel, your affection for Christ that enables you to stand with confidence. Notice that Paul says, strive side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. You see, the actions of the Philippians are uh, a sign to their adversaries. Paul says this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. And this doesn't mean that their adversaries will recognize their own doom but it's a further witness against them that God exists and that he is active in this world. The testimony of the church stands as further evidence that testifies against unbelievers at the judgment if they refuse to repent. But Paul also says it is a sign of your salvation and that from God. How? How is it a sign to Christians? Because we can see that God is moving, that he gives people faith. We can see that he changes people. We can see it in ourselves. He, He changes believers. He is a power provider. He bears fruit in our lives. In your growth, it's a sign. Notice it. Are you in a better place than you were a year ago, two years ago, five years ago? It's a sign. Your growth, even even if it's small, should be bringing you assurance. God is setting you aside. He's setting you apart for himself. But notice what's inspiring the Philippian church to this kind of growth, this kind of maturity. What's compelling them to grow? It's persecution, isn't it? It's opposition, 
it's conflict, it's trials. Ah, trials. Paul continues, for it has been granted to you. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul says that you've been granted two things. He says it's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should believe in him and suffer for his sake. And that verb, the verb granted, can literally be rendered graced. Graced. And that's because it means to to give freely or graciously as a favor. Christians have been granted. They've been graced with faith. And faith leads to action, doesn't it? Faith embraces the gospel. Faith that turns from sin. Faith bears fruit. Faith leads to discipleship. And we get that. We get that salvation is a gracious work from God from start to finish. But what about suffering? It's been granted to you to suffer for Christ? Why were the Philippians suffering? They were suffering because of their faithfulness, weren't they? The Philippians were advancing the gospel in Philippi, and now they're facing persecution. They were salt and light in their culture. They were determined to be faithful to the Lord Jesus. They wouldn't acknowledge Caesar as Lord. They wouldn't take part in the lewdness of their culture. Their love for Jesus showed in their actions. The scriptures were were reshaping their hearts and minds. They had a different set of standards than society. And, And this saltiness, this light, their sanctification was exposing the darkness around them. Our faith makes us different, doesn't it? It makes us stand out, sometimes uncomfortably so. Unbelievers notice it. They notice the differences. They notice the things that you refuse to take part in. And it makes unbelievers uncomfortable. Sometimes it makes them angry. The faithfulness of the Philippians made them a target. And now they have been graciously granted the privilege to suffer for Christ. In Acts 5, we read about the apostles. Uh, they are preaching and teaching in the temple. You remember Christ ascends, um, Pentecost happens, an outpouring of the Spirit is poured out on the church in great power so that this New Testament church can be uh, planted there. And the apostles are going to the temple and they are preaching and they are teaching. And it makes the high priest and the Pharisees and the Sadducees completely incensed. And they command the apostles to stop. But they don't stop. They go immediately back and keep preaching Christ. And they bring the apostles back into custody and they beat them. And then they charge them to quit preaching. 
And in Acts 5, 41 and 42, it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonest for the name of, dishonor for the name of Christ. They were rejoicing to suffer. Rejoicing? That they would be counted worthy to suffer? Are you willing to suffer for Christ? How is suffering for Christ a gift of God's grace? Think of someone that you love deeply. Are you willing to suffer for them? If it would take away their pain, if it would advance them in some way, would you be willing to take on their pain, to take their place? You would, wouldn't you? You'd even consider it an honor to be able to do it because you love them that much. It would be your pleasure. Well, sometimes God permits believers to suffer for Christ to walk the way of Christ with Christ himself, to demonstrate your love for him. You see, sometimes God will give you the opportunity to be partakers of Christ's sufferings. And this moves the believer beyond the role of beneficiary of Christ's death to a sharer in his sufferings. The Apostle Paul wants the Philippians to be prepared. He, he wants them to progress in their discipleship. He wants them to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does Paul instruct the Philippians to do? What does gospel-worthy living look like? Paul says, stand firm in unity, strive for the faith, embrace suffering, for Christ. But maybe you hear all of this and you say, I've, I've failed, I know I have. I've, I've, been, I've been part of, I've been part of the gossip. This, this mouth of mine, this heart of mine I know, I know I love myself, but where is my love for God? Why do I keep hurting the people around me? Why do I hurt my neighbor? I'm not living a gospel-worthy life. Christian, that is the very reason Christ came. Jesus lived a worthy life. He died for sin. Have you embraced the gospel? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? If you believe the gospel, then Jesus has declared you forgiven, righteous, in Christ, worthy. Turn from sin. Stand firm in unity. Strive together for the faith. Embrace suffering for Christ's sake and glory. This is gospel-worthy living.
live a gospel-worthy life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we would ask that you would help us. Lord, we want to live a life that reflects our citizenship in heaven. Would you help us, Lord? Would you help us to stand in unity, strive for the gospel, and embrace suffering for your glory's sake? We'd ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.